Hey everybody, welcome to Searching with JTG. I am so excited to share this conversation with my friend Porus Walker. Uh, this will be the first guest that we've had that is not a tattoo artist, but he has a lot of connections to the tattoo world, which you'll hear about in this uh, conversation. Porus is a really interesting dude. He is one of the most creative people that I've ever known. And it's like a childlike creativity. He has this approach towards life, which I discovered through this podcast. I'd seen it and I had experienced it by being around him. But I got some insight into it through just listening to him talk about how he tries to live and how he kind of makes his whole life into a form of art. How even if he goes to approach something that he really doesn't want to do, he'll try to kind of change it into a game and make it into art. And I guess it was maybe two years ago, I got to go work with him uh, and this dude, Sesafari, at something called the Neon Butthole. And it was another artist named Tom Sachs, who's absolutely incredible artist had a, a spot next to his studio in uh, New York. So he let Porus use it to do this event called the Neon Butthole. And the three of us uh, tattooed neon buttholes on people. We had different designs, all very simple, and we used a kind of UV pink ink. And uh, I just recently remembered that I tattooed Larry, or I was reminded that I tattooed Larry David's uh, entertainment lawyer, which comes up in this conversation. It was such an amazing event, and being inside of Tom Sachs' studio was probably one of the most impressive uh, creative spaces I've ever seen. It definitely was. And just seeing that Porus brought all of these people together to come and get butthole tattoos and that Larry David's lawyer was there and some really highbrow people. And if you don't know who Porus is, then take a moment, go on your phone and check out his Instagram or, or just look him up because what he does is pretty unique and it's, pre it's, it's pretty profane. Um, and there's lots of dicks and lots of tits and lots of sexuality and vulgarity and uh but man behind that kind of childlike creativity and lowbrow i guess uh creativity is a really incredible mind and you'll get to hear how thoughtful he is and you can hear how much he cares about his family and his friends and his community. And talking to him, I was reminded of my life back in San Francisco. I left there in 2010 uh, after living there for eight or nine years. And I had such an amazing community of people there. And I've forgotten so much of it. Uh, I was friends with Jeremy Fish and part of his gang called the Silly Pink Bunnies. We were twice, twice as tough as our name. And that was such a huge part of my life. And then this community built around Fecal Face, which was a, a 
kind of online arts community and uh, there ended up being a gallery there. You know, this podcast is called Searching with JTG for a reason because I am, I always have been searching for something and I think that that's why I've lived in so many places and moved around so much. And because of that, I've forgotten so many things in my life because it's like my hard drive is full. I just can't, I can't remember everyone and I can't remember all the people that I've met or the experiences that I've had but I've been lucky enough to have some really beautiful uh, experiences and amazing creative people in my life and interesting smart people that I've come in contact with and Porus lives in uh, Northern California and because of and he's lived there for so long and because of that his community is really rich and he has a small, tight-knit community of people, but his broader web, his broader net, you would not be- you're not going to believe the people that he has come in contact with. He's got really close personal relationship with the uh, Coppola family, Francis Ford Coppola, the directed Godfather, and his wife, and um, you know the fact that his his friends with just so many really amazing, accomplished people um and i think that that's the result of staying in one place but it's also the approach of his life in seeing how he can make it all fun and all enjoyable and memorable i went to uh uh he had an old art show back when i lived down there at my friend adam hatch's gallery um and i was so excited to go to the art show and it was just all uh, mainly drawings on paper uh, that were up on the walls but there was also a vending machine and you could put in a quarter and get five dollars so <laughs> it was like a five dollar vending machine so you'd put in a quarter and then out would come this uh, little packet with a folded up five dollar bill in it and then after the show I think he burned everything that, that didn't sell but it's not just limited to drawing what he's done. He, he made this really beautiful sculpture with uh, little figurines on this kind of grassy knoll. And there's this ladder that's climbing up. And you can see people lined up to climb up this ladder. And I think it was called uh, the Ladder to Heaven. Really thoughtful. So behind all of this crazy shit that he does, there's some real depth. And I can't... Uh, I can't express my level of admiration for this guy and the way that he approaches life. When I left that uh, Neon Butthole event, I was more inspired than I've been in my adult life, I think, from being inside Tom Stack's studio and meeting all of the people there and just seeing how being an artist and being creative was a practice and it was one of the most important things in in these guys lives it's uh something that i've tried to bring in but i tend to make art very serious and it becomes tedious and a chore and that doesn't exist for porous and i hope it doesn't continue to exist for me because man i want to live like this guy that's really it's really awesome so i hope you enjoy this conversation it's so fucking cool um, if you want to oh 
and then I had uh, a guy named Brooks from Texas reached out and he's an audio engineer and he works in video and he is uh, going to be taking over the, the post-production part of this so the podcast is going to sound better we're going to have intro music again they're going to come out really consistently um, so that's exciting and I've got my first uh, supporter somebody went onto anchor.com and looked up searching with JTG and they donated and that helps man that that really helps it'll help make the podcast better and uh at some point we'll be getting some of these interviews with video up onto youtube um so that's that's gonna be coming up um and hey i'd love to hear your feedback it's been really cool uh running into people as i travel and people that are listening to the podcast but if you have any thoughts, suggestions, if uh, if there's anybody that you think that I should talk to, shoot me an email or shoot me a message on Instagram. My email is jtgtattoos at gmail.com. And uh, fuck yeah. I hope everybody out there is doing good. It's really weird to be coming back to life after uh, this past year. And I'm excited about it. And I'm also kind of nervous. I feel kind of like a hermit. Like, I want to socialize, but I also feel really awkward. Um, I don't think I'm alone in that. Just kind of languishing in this year. Um, But I really hope everybody's doing good. Go out there, be kind to somebody. There's enough of the other shit. All right, enjoy this fucking podcast. Cock shit piss. Yeah. I'm in a little town called St. Helens. It's like 40 minutes outside of Portland. I'm in St. Helena. Oh, shit. We're just <laughs> off by one letter. Nice. St. <laughs> Helena. Awesome, man. I'm so excited to talk with you. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm just excited to see you. Yeah, man. Hey, when I'm... do we start recording? Uh, I'm recording now, but just for... You, you edit it, right? Yeah. Perfect. Let's just do one word answers. (laughs) The shortest podcast ever. (laughs) You have to protect me. I'm, you know. Yeah. How does it feel to do this? Are you, uh, how does it's it's good because it's you. I I like talking to you. It's always weird to talk about yourself, I think, other than to my therapist. Do you do therapy? Oh, yeah. 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 I have to. Totally. So, uh, yeah, we I do couples therapy and then I do uh, individual therapy because I was married for 20 years and uh, realized at the end of that marriage that I didn't know how to be in a relationship <laughs> without some coaching, you know, and uh, it started as a joke with my new partner. We didn't, you know, we um, we just I just said, hey, you know, if we're going to be in a relationship, I, I need counseling. I, I definitely need some therapy. We need somebody to professional to sort of guide us through this and she she found this this amazing woman and uh so it's been it's been tremendous because we're able to to kind of be honest with each other and this therapist and get the tools that we need uh so that when things start to get in those those cycles which happens it happened in my relationship my previous relationship where you just you just keep going back to the same shit 
Uh, now we have these tools to put a, a stop to it and kind of call each other out in a way that isn't uh, threatening to the other person. So totally. it's been is, that a, is that a lot of like, uh, I this is making me feel like this instead of you're making me feel like this? Yeah. Yeah. And it's self-reflection too. Like you, you realize, you know, if you, if you let it be honest and you listen to your, to your fucking self and, and check yourself, then you can, you can move forward. It's the, it's pretty hard, I think, to look at yourself and admit, especially to, to a partner that you're, you know, you're the most vulnerable to some of those deep, deep things. So, yeah. But then personally, yeah, I do therapy uh, separately just because it's like, Hey, it's part of knowledge. Uh, it's part of the knowledge I want to gain. Yeah. You know, I've yeah. heard a lot of like comedians and other artists that, that, that I think there's been resistance to the idea of therapy because it would maybe take away the, whatever it is that causes the artistic motivation or the artistic drive. Um, yeah, I don't know maybe for each everybody's different right so yeah. uh I, I think the i think of those things as separate it's like i'll always have this immature humor thing about me that who knows if it'll go away that's what i really dig for when i'm when i'm trying to to make a joke or something i don't think of it as trying to make a joke it's just like i'll just that's what i if I laugh at it or if I'm kind of like questioning its weirdness, then I feel like, okay, I, I'm happy to show this to other people and see what they think. <laughs> and ther but therapy is, um, it's more about, you know, just making sure that I treat other people around me uh, with as much kindness and respect and, and uh, don't get, get into, cause I have a tendency to, to react like a, like a 16 year old kid, you know, or even younger. <laughs> At, at times no i really you know i think i understand I'm, <laughs> I'm i'm 74 right now and so i think uh, going back it's there's a lot of things that you, you look at through therapy it's like wow that that could have scarred you when you were a kid and maybe you get stuck at certain ages and and oh uh, man totally. emotionally and so one of the best descriptions i heard about therapy was like it's kind of like uh emptying a junk drawer and all that stuff is just piled up in the drawer and you take it out and you start to put it in the pile so you can start to see these things and they're not all tangled up together. You can start to see them individually and uh, and start to get yes. some clarity as to what makes up that whole mess of things. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Do you, so you do therapy too? Man, I did like seven years uh, and it was great. And I fucking needed it because I was, I was just... I didn't know how to live. And that gave me my first inkling of how to live and t showed me that I wasn't connected at all to myself and uh, showed me how to do that. But that ended when I left San Francisco and I haven't done any since, but I've done a shit ton of self-work, like just yeah, tons of studying and reading and thinking about what it is to be a good conscious person. But That's yeah, great. therapy gave me the tools to do that. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. It's it's easy to do too if you just commit. You, but yeah, I think you do have to find the right people. You For know, sure, I've been, I've been through therapists my since I was a teenager, and 
it's, it's just like any relationship you either you either connect or you don't and so once you find someone good it's 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 really good i like i like a uh, active therapists aggressive therapists that are that call me out you know that aren't afraid to lose me that they they have as, an opinion. as a client oh yeah and they're just yeah. they're fucking real it's like you know they don't bullshit it's like and they can you know if they're good enough they know when you're when you're lying and they call you out on it and you're like fuck you can't get this past you i'm trying to just get through this hour that I'm paying you a ton of money or whatever. <laughs> um, if you're lucky enough to get a therapist, I think you should, everybody should try it once. For sure, man. And if there's a time when I think more people probably need it than ever to this fucking year of solitude. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it, it, it's been, been a funny year. Yeah. So, but yeah, therapy also, it's like you question all the time, like, man, when am I going to kill myself? Like, when am I going to take my own life when I get sick, when I'm old and I start to feel like I'm getting dementia? Because it's like, you know, that's another part of this. It's like, oh, you know, that's just a bigger question. <laughs> we're, we're all going to die and we never know when you're going to die. And that's part of this game. And as a you just, you know, you maybe want to try to control it and think, OK, I got this plan. I'm going to do this then. Uh, you know, I think therapy is just a part of that process. Yeah, there was a lot of old philosophy, a lot of stoicism. They talked about that being able to make the decision of when you wanted to leave this existence and being yeah. able to make that decision consciously. And I, I could see a place for that. I grew up, my mom said that since I was a kid that she was going to kill herself if she ever started to get Alzheimer's. So yeah. <laughs> grew up accustomed to that idea. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Yeah, it's all a mystery. As this are you. Grim. Let's cut let's cut all that. We don't need to talk about that. that. Is, that's good stuff for let's people. Just, no, let's start. Let's start <laughs> like questions. Do you like Morgan Freeman? The actor? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like his acting. I don't know, I don't know Morgan Freeman as a person, but <laughs> I, I do like Shawshank Redemption. Um uh, he did this series uh like finding religion on I saw on YouTube. It was like searching all the world's religions and it was, it was interesting to see him, you know, walking through the, some of the pyramids and yeah, he doesn't question things. God-like voice. Yeah. Oh, Bruce Almighty, right? Bruce Almighty. He yeah. was God. He played God. <laughs> totally. But I, and I like his freckles too. He's got, that's kind of <laughs> cool. Well, so where you're, uh, you're around Napa, right? North of Napa, about, 20 minutes about an hour and a half north of san francisco wine we're in wine country in this in the napa valley do you drink wine no not really but you used not to really. work on a winery right yeah I, I this is what drove me up here i i moved from st louis um to san francisco in the late 90s and uh just to get out of St. Louis. I love St. Louis, but I just had to get out and always watch this uh, videos of people bombing the San Francisco Hills on skateboards. And I skated for a long time and um, wanted to, wanted to try to bomb some Hills and San Francisco seemed to be the best place. So I moved here and then I, I, uh, I uh, stayed in San Francisco for about a year and a half. And then, uh, hit like a depressing point in my life and 
just drove up north and found uh, found this valley and this this winery that I wanted to work at. Just just to like work somewhere totally different from the city. So you you ended up moving to the town and then working at the winery. Well, yeah, no, I would commute. I would I I uh, got a car and uh, would drive an hour north every day to work. Just basically, uh, I didn't know anything about wine. It just, I don't know what it was. I just had this idea that I, I needed to come up here and work. And there was a winery that um, the grounds were really beautiful. And it just felt like it, it, something was really pulling me to it. Um, it's hard to explain. It's just that I, I felt like I had to get out of san francisco i you know coming from the midwest it was it was a big culture shock it wasn't so much like the diverse cultures i loved that element of it but it was more the tightness of the city and like living on top of people yeah and having uh almost feeling like there's no room to spread out like within my own uh living situation you know to step outside and then to have neighbors literally right there watching and you feel like they're not really watching but feel like they're watching i just felt like holy shit i i need to just sort of breathe and and i drove up here to the napa valley and um it just felt like well taurus will always come to this place so if i get a job here i'll uh, i'll at least have a job for a little while and we'll see what happens cool so you grew up in st louis missouri yeah yeah. Midwest, St. Louis, yeah. You, great, great city, great place. A lot of, was it, a lot of, what was it was just cold. Like? My family, <laughs> they were nice, you know, um, mom, dad, older sister, younger brother. And uh, my dad worked all the time. He, uh, my dad was really creative. He always drew, and my parents both uh, were playwrights. And so they would, we would, they would write these plays and act in these plays. And, and we had a basement full of costumes and uh, that was just a separate hobby in a sense for them. And, but there was so much creative thing. My mom would, would choreograph these dance numbers. And so they'd clear the living room furniture out and, and they dance and she'd have all these women and men over and they do these dance lines. And I remember as a kid, just sitting on the stairs, watching this shit unfold in the house, like shaking. And uh, but then it would be back to our regular life. My dad would, work every day and drive this truck my mom stayed at home and so you are sincerely one of my favorite creative people like my favorite artists and That's so weird to me i remember this is early on so the john john trip was a guy in san francisco uh i got a computer in like 2000 i was young and uh and i was never really did art like never went to art i went to art school for a semester and then realized like fuck i am not technically like ready for this i i don't know how to do any of this like I, and i'm in a, a group of really talented people like and um i just couldn't i couldn't deal with it i couldn't hang and so quit art school but then i got a computer and um and i always loved art especially moving to san francisco i saw um I think it was Jeremy Fish. I saw some some Jeremy Fish work in a gallery once. And, or, I mean, I grew up with, let's just go back. I grew up skateboarding. So the skateboard graphics were, were my yeah. art. 
for me, you know, so Mark McKee um, was probably the guy that really like put all that shit like, Oh my God, these graphics are so good. amazing. And, um, uh, and then Jeremy was doing things for think skateboards at, at the time, which was out of San Francisco. And I remember I saw a show at some point and, um, <clears throat> was introduced to that idea of like well fuck man maybe i could draw something and and just try and so john tripp uh had a had a website called fecalface.com and this is pre-face facebook i think myspace existed uh facebook may have existed but it was i wasn't on it i didn't know anything about it, it wasn't set up for for artists necessarily whereas fecal face was a full-blown website with forum boards and features and interviews and uh and it what it did it was it allowed users to sort of submit images into this forum board so you could actually post a drawing that you did uh, or your paintings or sculptures or whatever and and then the forum would would talk about it maybe if you're lucky and i remember right. i i the first thing i drew was this uh it was like a series and it was called like blobs or something. And the one of the first comments, there was a guy named John Groshong. So Fecal Face was uh, this group of people, John Tripp, uh, Ferris Plock, Isaac McKay Randozzi, John Groshong, I think Rick Marr was a part of it. And it was like, uh, I didn't know any of these people, but uh, first comment, and, but I had studied it before I actually submitted, dipped my toe in the water. So I knew who these people were and I was intimidated and uh, I submitted this drawing. And the, one of the first comments was from John Groshong, who I think was a moderator or something. And it was like, it was a drawing of a blob. It was a series of blobs fucking doing God, whatever, like taking a bath, eating pancakes. Groshong's comment was eat a bag of dicks. Like that was the only thing. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, wow, man, like, <laughs> Wow, like fuck me, you know. <laughs> and so, but it fueled me. I felt like I, I wasn't offended by it in the sense where I was like, "Oh fuck you, man." It was more like I'm gonna win this guy over. I I, I got to win, and and in the, in that sense, it meant like I got to win everybody over. And so I just kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. And at the same time, uh, Girl Skateboards had a had a side site called Crailtap.com. And, uh, and I, uh, they had a forum board and I, and that's when I sort of first used the name Porus Walker and then, uh, and, uh, and, and somehow just started working, like setting a goal where it's like, they had a, a whole special art team that created their graphics. And, uh, I really, really dreamt of, wow, maybe one day I could, I could work in that kind of environment with, with like-minded artists and, mm. So I had goals. I started making these goals to, to do it. And, uh, but they helped in, in a sense, they didn't help me directly, but I, I would send them packages. Like I would just type, write emails and, and ask, uh, Hey, what's the best mailing address for you? And, and most people respond and they say, they send you their, their address or their work address. And so I would put these big boxes together with like, drawings and random things that I love that I had collected uh, and just sent them these mystery boxes of shit. And so I think I, it creeped out, it creeped out some of them, but then I think some of them, it really, 
they just remembered it was this idea that like try to make people remember you you know and and uh and stay stay on it like don't give up and i I don't know and you had no you you didn't draw did you draw as a kid well yeah in school when you have to like art class but not for fun you didn't feel like a affinity towards drawing but you grew up in that house that was pretty creative and had a lot of like creative uh yeah energy yeah yeah like we i would make things like we would make my mom would make our calendars out of like magazines so every year we would have a calendar my mom would make envelopes out of magazines so Hmm. they were these funny like photo like pages she'd fold them and tape them and glue them and those were envelopes they were out of magazine page she was just reusing stuff instead of buying something new you know my dad also made made a lot of wood stuff and uh yeah, and so I I grew up around it, I but I didn't necessarily uh, draw or have an idea that I could draw or, or paint or, or be an artist. And then, so it was just that you got on fecal face and you were like, I'm going to give this a shot and started drawing blobs. Yeah, they look like jelly. <laughs> they were just fucking circles, like blobby circles, just stupid. And then there was another one called Dots. So it was just dots and like dot. I don't oh, know. I, I remember just, the dots. I was just trying to make them. I was trying to, to do something. I was trying to get attention. I think it was more like I need attention. I was a middle <laughs> child. I was, middle, I was the forgotten child. So I was like, I need attention. Um, and then I and then luckily I was I was invited into a group show by. Uh, there's a gallery in San Jose called uh, Anno Domini. Uh, Sherry Lackey and. Uh, and her her husband Brian had a gallery, and just through me, I think constantly being on fecal face, putting things up, and uh, they saw something and they invited me to a show. And at that point, I had started actually drawing people, and and single with panel a lot comedy. of teeth. Yeah, a lot of teeth, because <laughs> uh, my teeth are fucked up, and so I that's so I I was invited to this group show. And I was really intimidated. It was a Christmas show. They do an annual Christmas show. And I was really intimidated. And I just thought it would be funny to, I started looking at the price. She said, oh, do you want to be on, what are your prices? I didn't know anything about being in an art show. And so she said, what are your prices? And I asked her to explain what, what she was going to, like, what does that mean? Like, so show me a price list and said, okay, here's what we do. We put it on this price list, this printout list. And nobody everybody's numbers were the pretty much the same like four hundred dollars two hundred dollars fifty dollars and i just wanted to stand out and be different so i put negative five dollars and i taped five dollar bills on the back of the (laughs) of the i didn't really have much money at all but i felt like well this is this is probably the only time i'll be in an art show so i i want to make it really like an art like an art piece and so i taped five dollar bills on the back and um just to have people do, do a double take, you know, like they're going through a price list, like what the fuck? And it worked, it worked like a charm because, <laughs> and I didn't plan this. I didn't know that this would happen, but in a group show, the walls, everybody's art is sort of in each section. Like, so I had maybe six drawings in one section. And uh, so during the show at the beginning, once people realize, Oh my God, I, I can get $5. Like, I don't even care about this piece of art. I can get five bucks. <laughs> they do this thing with red stickers where they put red dots 
next to the paintings or the pieces. And that indicates that the artwork is sold out. Right. right. So I think within, I don't remember the time, but it was very quickly. All of my pieces had red dots on them. And I, so in my mind, it was, it, it, I realized like, Oh wow, that's smart. Because then anytime I'd gone to a show and, and looked at, at pieces and I see red dots, I think, well, that art must be important or that right. must be good. That must be good. So it did that in that, in that way. It just made it look. So I guess I was cheating the system, but I don't, I don't think it's cheating as much as that's just, I, I didn't make any money off it. I don't <laughs> think I even gained any notoriety for it. It was, I made, I gave people five bucks. Those people were probably pretty stoked that they got five bucks. And they'll remember pieces, that forever. Yeah, I hope so. And so that was like, that was like the start. So I did that for, I was lucky enough to be invited into, I think a few more shows. John Tripp actually invited, he had a gallery, he had a physical space that was connected to Fecal Face. And I, I got to do a show there. And I think I did a similar thing. You came to that show. Mm -hmm. um, you were one of the first people to buy my pieces. Um, you bought an actual tattoo. I did a drawing about a tattoo being realistic. Yeah. I just cut out a, a porn, a porn magazine page and, like cut out made it look like this porn and today there's i think even then tattoos were probably that realistic but <laughs> I, I didn't know shit about tattoos i had one tattoo from a guy named uh brad fink when i was in oh shit man and i have I, had that drawing in every single tattoo shop that i've worked at since i bought it and when i was yeah, in I love costa rica you. i had to have it laminated because everything started to rot so now it's laminated it's, and i can easily tack it up to any wall well you, you know what, you really, you really helped me, my ego, I think, because um, I didn't realize that you had bought, I think I knew you bought the pieces and I always loved your name, Jason Tyler Grace. And I always <laughs> knew you were part of Jeremy Fish's like Silly Pink Bunnies group. And uh, which, which was always like Isaac McKay Randozzi was my, my introduction to that. Yeah. And he was really the first physical person to reach out to me and through the Fico face thing and say, Hey, I, I'd like to meet you, you know, and check you out. And so uh, he, he, he's been an amazing friend and inspiration. And, uh, so anyway, he, I heard your name, Jason Tyler Grace. I'm like, this dude's either a serial killer or he's just like an author or something. You know, ass. Uh, <laughs> I, and then I went to idle hand tattoo one day. Uh, I think Jerry Ilkenhans was there. Aaron Hodges may have been there. Just, you know, some really nice people that I've met. And, um, I walk into this tattoo parlor. It was on Hate Street, right? Mm -hmm. It's still there. Yeah. And and I was nervous as shit. I don't know why I was going. I think I was going to meet you, like to physically like say hi to you a couple of years after you had bought the those pieces. And there they were. Like there was the one framed <laughs> behind your tattoo station. And I I never felt so uh, accomplished. I just felt really good. It's like Oh man. I thought I thought people were just like taking my five dollars and <laughs> And not actually liking what it was that I was trying to, to do. And so thank you for that. Man, you know, I still think of that. I still think of you when I hear your name, I think of that piece. And I think of that moment when I walked in and, and saw that and felt like, wow, this guy is a tremendous artist. You know, I, 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 there's no way I could ever be of that caliber artist. And then to see that, wow, he actually appreciates this. Oh, man. It, 
Or at least like, at least willing to put it up for joke. No, I have such a deep appreciation for it. And I think what's so interesting is like your work can look really, I guess, like sophomoric or very simple or uh, definitely crude, but it's, there's like this level of uh, openness and just like, like you're tapped into some source and I've always watched it and just been kind of in awe of it. And for me, art is such a serious thing that it can be a drag. And I look at you and I get like a feeling of buoyancy and like, it's almost like a, a breath of fresh air and it inspires what me do you to mean lighten that, up. But what do, you, what do you mean a drag? I guess as a tattoo art. So yeah, there's a difference. You have to be perfect. Right. So there was a difference of the craft and art. And I definitely grew up as an artist. And then when I started tattooing, I brought art into that. But then I learned that tattooing was a craft and it was better done within a certain framework. And I think from drawing other people's ideas so much over the years, I kind of got used to drawing what I was uh, directed to draw. And there were times when I would draw for for me in San Francisco, I had a huge moment of like freedom and just like this, ah, it was just constant discovery. And like, oh my God, where the fuck did that come from? That's so cool and and loving it. And and then I sold a piece, I sold a piece of art for like three grand, this big painting, it had my cum in it. I came in the fucking cigarette ash and mixed it in with some like tar and put it on the painting and I sold it. And I had such a great time. I was painting a bunch. And then after I sold it, I totally froze. And I couldn't make anything for a really long time. Because I guess I equated selling with, uh, or I created art now with selling instead of uh, the joy of creation. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think I've, I've watched you over the years just prolific and almost like a torrent of ideas and playfulness and uh just fluidity and it's always just i've I've always watched in awe and even back then i was like resentful of so many people because i just i didn't know why but i do now but i was never resentful of you i was just always like this is amazing (laughs) But, but what do you mean resentful like resentful of other artists or politicians just grew up uh i i grew up without a good framework of being able to uh like i i I was really jealous of jeremy fish we were really you know close but in my deepest part i didn't like to acknowledge it but i felt like yeah yeah yeah. jealous of his success and his abilities that's normal yeah but now we're trained to do we're trained to be jealous of other people's success even our best friends even our family members that's the hardest thing to get over is this idea that, wow, someone else is better than me and they're getting more attention or, you know, they're, they're doing similar work or they're, or in your opinion, maybe it's not even as good as your work, whatever the fuck that means. That's the devil or whatever, just trying to, to, to put poison in us, you know, completely. I've never, I I've always been the, 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 the guy at the bottom looking up at everybody and and so to have um to have any kind of success has been amazing and i'm lucky and i'm and the only thing i want to do is help 
inspire other people that that start to get down on it like on themselves or their work uh just keep going you know and keep yeah. making stuff i i read an interview with with nasty neck neck face oh yeah uh, not too long ago and and i'd never really read too much uh because i my brain or my eyes i don't have glasses i need glasses but also i, I have a hard time reading um and so but i read this interview with nasty neck face i can't remember where it was nasty neck face they someone asked him a question about art and making art and he he gave an answer which was something along the lines of uh, even if he'll always make art, like that's just in him. He'll always make things. Um, and I, 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 I'm sorry, I, I'm butchering whatever his real answer is. Uh, I wish I'll say, I'll try to find it and send it to you so you can, because it's an important quote for me. It, it's helped me at this stage of my life to realize like to, to remain playful and to remain stick into your intuition and, and what you want to make. And um, it's like, if you were homeless or if you were out in the middle of fucking a deserted Island, w- would you make things? And I, I know I would, I would without an audience, you know, I think that's what his, I'm, I'm stealing that from neck face. But I, I, when I, when I read that, it really dawned on me. Like, I feel like I think I have that same thing. I think mo- a lot of artists do. Most artists do. It's like, it's a need. Like you have to do it yeah. or go fucking crazy. Yeah. It's nice to be able. And, and we're really lucky to be able to make any kind of money off of our creations and, and also to get acclaim and, and even criticism. It's we're lucky to be able to show and share stuff now uh, with such ease, but I know that I would just keep making stuff. And that's, yeah. that brought me back to, to staying what you said, which is uh, just motivated. Like, just do it, you know, have fun yeah, and, and try to do it. <clears throat> that's been the biggest th- shift for me from being down there in Costa Rica was like, I had so much time to think. And especially after I came and worked with you at the Neon Butthole in New York at Tom Sachs Studio. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for doing that. You, Dude, saved, that- <laughs> you saved my ass. It, I promoted it as a tattoo studio. Sorry. Uh, no, you talk uh, about what the what that was. Um, well, it was 2017, 2018, I think. 2018, I was fortunate enough to be invited to use Tom Space or Tom Sachs's uh, bodega space, which is attached to his studio in Manhattan. And uh, I think there was a, a, a story before that, which was uh, I interviewed, I was, again, dude, I'm so fucking lucky. Like I've had so many opportunities to be able to do things. Uh, and Juxtapose Magazine uh, allowed me to interview Tom, Tom Sachs's um, ceramics team of mary fry jj pete and pat mccarthy they they have a ceramics team called satan ceramics and it's which is the best name and they have the best logo (laughs) for a ceramics team but they would it was basically like a one night a week thing where they would get together and 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 make ceramics uh and tom has this amazing studio and i was always a I was always a fan of this guy. Like since I got a computer, I I found he had built, I think a space shuttle and then he had built this Chanel guillotine, you know, 
out of plywood, fiberglass. Immediately I saw his work and I felt like, ah, this is art. This is what this is. So anyway, I was lucky enough to, to get it, to get the chance to interview him. And we interviewed, we had a great time. And at the time I had, I had bought a, I bought a tattoo machine or I, or I, I was, I bought a tattoo machine from a tattoo artist here because I had seen a, a video of Scott Campbell uh-huh. uh, making a, a tattoo machine out of like an old VCR motor. He did this thing with Casey Neistat, who's a, who was like a part of Tom's team for a while. So it's all these weird connecting dots. Anyway, I saw Scott Campbell and I only knew Scott Campbell for his, uh, for his money work, mm-hmm. the beautiful artwork. I didn't realize he was a tattoo artist. And, uh, I saw this video and I'm like, and I thought, Oh my God, that looks so amazing to make a tattoo machine. And I'm terrible at making shit like that. So I didn't try, I bought one. And then we just started giving each other tattoos. My friend Dave Hopp and Masa Suki and I just would, Masa never got one, but Dave and I really went full in and, and I think you guys call them scratchers. So we were uh-huh. fucking, we were terrible. Those terrible people. Anyway, long story short, uh, so we had tattoo machines. We went to this, this interview and uh, in the studio. And I think Tom and his crew just thought it was going to be an interview. And it was. And we photographed and filmed. And then I pulled out this tattoo machine. And I said, hey, can, do you guys want to give, have you ever given a tattoo? And none of them had. And so, I, dude, I, I was so lucky. I was the uh, first person to ever get a tattoo from Tom Sachs. I, I, still have, I still have it. It's like this giant Norse. No thing. shit. And then he signed. <laughs> oh my God. He fucking went for it. Holy oh, shit. yeah. He was. Yeah. And so and then Dave Hop got got the second one. And and then I think Mary, Mary Fry gave us a tattoo. So we walked out of there. And at the same time, the, the night that that happened, another very close friend of mine who we lost last year, Jason Poland. Also oh, man. Me, yeah gave me his first tattoo which is this hamburger i used to go to his drawing club taco bell yeah so that same night it was october 12th 2015 he actually signed it and dated it i got jason poland's first ever tattoo on me um and then the about two hours later tom Sachs and mary (laughs) fry's first tattoo. so uh i looked at tattooing a, a lot like wow, this is a, you know, this is a moment to remember. These are moments to remember, right? They're not just pieces of art on your body. So you just carry around a tattoo machine in your pocket. No, no, I did. <laughs> no, I did. I did for a while, but uh, now I haven't had it. I haven't received a tattoo in a long time, but you know, they're markers. I had one from you that, that was like that. That was a shell Silverstein, right? Saying, yeah. And it was like, Hey, I want, I still have it. And it didn't, I didn't take it off. <laughs> And uh, but that was something where I was like, give me this, you know, I guess what you're supposed to do. I don't but know. I tattooed you on one knee and you were standing up and it was at Adam Hatch's gallery. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you were on your way out the door the whole time because you were with Aaron Hodges. I think you were the group of people and you were you guys were going up like, Jason, Jason, before you go, give me a tattoo. You're like, you were so nice. You're like, all right. And I just I drew it. I didn't I don't think I've worked off anything. I think I just drew it nothing. on. Yeah, nothing. it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. It's still, I'll send you a photo. It's perfect. Um, but, but uh, you know, that, that started this whole thing where Tom and St. Ceramics 
we're like, what the fuck was that? Tat? That was so much fun. So man, uh, way to and, leave a mark. Like what a, what an impression oh, that made on. Huh? Yeah. And, and it, and it gave me the idea that, okay, if I meet some of my f- most favorite people, uh, if I can potentially get them to give me a tattoo that, that marks the moment. And it's something that I have that I can always remember. Like I got a, a drawing on my arm from Francis Ford Coppola, who <laughs> I worked for for a long time. And then his wife also wrote in Sharpie and signed my and What does so that say? Gave, you're ever better? No, it says uh, you're even better. Ah, cool. So Dave Hopp, my brother, one of the best artists in the world, uh, he was, we were together. We both worked for the Coppolas uh, for years and years and years. That was the, the winery and the company that, that I moved up here for. But he got Eleanor, he had Eleanor write up with a Sharpie uh, and she wrote, Dave's the best. And I was jealous. I'm like, man, what the fuck? So I went up to Eleanor and I said, well, I guess Dave's the best. I said, will you write Jimmy's the worst or Porus is the worst? <laughs> and she wrote, you're even better. I was, which is not true. Dave is much better. But, so we went ahead and tattooed. I got Mickey Mouse from Francis Ford Coppola. And uh, no, I mean, it's just, these are the moment, and then Dave tattooed it, but these are the moments that tattoos for me, what it turned into. It was all with the, the best intentions and it was just a hell of a, a hell of an experience. Yeah, so I have a lot. I have a lot from different people, which I really treasure each one because when I'm reminded, you know, how you, you have a lot as well. And it's, it's so funny how you overlook them. Yeah. You know, and then there's one moment at a time when you notice one and for, and there's symbolism in that. I think where it's like, I haven't noticed that tattoo in a long time. So it's like going through a scrapbook of memories of those people in those moments, not just uh, I sat with, you know, with this artist for two hours while they finished the piece on me, which is also very memorable and special. Yeah but these are different memories like yeah. sporadic and usually funny because totally. there's a lot sometimes people were inebriated when the tattoos took place and <laughs> uh, which isn't always the best circumstances it happens uh, but yeah okay, so, so we you're, were invited you're so there we were in tom's so, studio so we're in tom's studio we did the tattoos we did the interview juxtapose published it uh and then tom was really really positive about the tattoo experience and and uh he's got all these tools he's a big tool guy so i figured well i gotta get him a tattoo machine like as a gift for for allowing us to interview him so at the time i was i was just on instagram and i started getting um followers usually people that i didn't know and i knew you were a tattoo artist and but I, I didn't necessarily know. And I think I was going to reach out to you. But then I realized there was a guy named Seth Seferi who Seferi? was following me. Seferi. <laughs> and, and, and he was following me and he would always comment, you know. And, and at the time, I was, it was important, like, okay, well, let me see who this person that's commenting. And so I looked and sure enough, I'm like, oh, this guy builds tattoo machines. And so I contacted him and and. He said, sure, I'll build a tattoo machine for you. Um, I think it was mainly because I explained who it was for. And he's also a Tom Sex uh, fan. And so he made this machine. He made a custom machine for Tom Sex. And he's, he incorporated 
drawing of I think balls and boobs. <laughs> my he my drawings. He put them on the, around the coils, mm-hmm. and so that was really exciting to have. And you know, and I thought, well, this guy makes machines that I think people really really value Seth and his work, and so <clears throat> it, it was like giving Tom a, a the best tool, and so we went to to a show in at Yerba Buena. He did a, a Mars landing, I think, and or Europa. And Seth flew down to San Francisco from Oregon, and we presented Dave. On top of this, Dave Hop made this amazing tattoo case. That beautiful, is very cool, beautiful tattoo case, tattoo machine case with inks and all everything you need. And it was very much in the Tom Sexile. We presented it to Tom and uh i think tom was just he he seemed to be pretty pretty uh pretty happy with i know he was and so he invited us to use the bodega space in new york and so uh, a a co-worker of his part of his studio team um a guy named trevor who runs william ellery which is a side clothing company trevor came up with the name neon butthole and uh so we, we decided, well, let's do a pop-up tattoo studio called Neon Butthole. And they made a, a neon sign out of one of my drawings of a just sun butthole. And then uh, talking to you, I invited you and you came up from Costa Rica. I was amazed that you did it. <laughs> and Seth came from Oregon and we did the, we did the show and you guys used UV ink. Yeah. Which I know nothing about real tattooing and so uh but you made it work and people actually came they people showed Dude, up it was packed it was so fun because they could come in like one or two at a time and and get tattoos and i re- remember people the best part of the neon sign on on that street in in manhattan was the sign was on and people would walk by and say this a anal beat bleaching place what is this <laughs> because it's neon butthole man so that that whole experience that is to this day i think it's the most amazing environment i've ever stepped into uh for anybody that doesn't know you can check out tom Sachs on like look up 10 bullets on youtube but man it, it changed everything for me in terms of how i viewed art as in terms of uh a commitment, I guess, like of being really devoted to it and making it into, cause I had the, I had craft, which is tattooing, but then there's an the art, which is outside of that and devoting time to it and creating kind of like a ritual for it, man. I hung out with Seth the other night and he was, I was like, I was talking about, I ended up taking a hit of acid about, I was having the best time. <laughs> and then I took a hit of acid and it all started to go downhill. And I forgot a lot of things. And he was like, uh, up dude, up, you tattooed Larry David's lawyer. And I was like, what? <laughs> it, entertainment lawyer. You did. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you tattooed the bottom of her foot. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. John, J- John Ted. Is, <laughs> his name is John Ted. He's a, a good friend of uh, his daughter is a good friend of, of my, my partner, Julia's. Man. Yeah. You, he still got the, it was his first tattoo ever. He, the whole, <laughs> you tattooed, I think you guys tattooed the whole family. You tattooed Bryn, Lexi, the mom, and John Ted, who's Man. one of my favorite people. 
by far one of my favorite memories of my life that night. Yeah. Even, yeah. It was so good. So, um, man, like you have really like been really blessed or, or lucky in terms of the lucky. connection of people that you've made. What do you think yeah, the importance of lucky. community is in, uh, as a, as an artist? It's, it's everything. I mean, without other artists, without people, we're not going to be able to, to achieve some of these goals. I mean, and, and gain inspiration. You know, I, I get depressed as fuck most of the time. Like I don't have this, this thing where you can sit down and just ah, make, 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 I get the same thing as everybody, you know, you get, you beat yourself up and you, you fucking, and with Instagram, it's, a, it's my, it's, it's the place where I, I've, I've think I've gotten uh, the most, uh, the most attention in the sense that people have, I've been able to share my work with more people, but there's, there's also that side of it where uh, I think you look at things like likes and, and you look at follower count and you look at all that stuff and it can be very depressing and also very, uh, very tough as far as like, it, it, it starts to cater this competition thing, I think amongst artists. Yeah. And so that's, that's the, that's the darker side. I don't, I don't really let it bother me. I've been really lucky, but I, I have talked to other artists where there's been this communication where they're like, oh yeah, uh, I always thought we had a friendly rivalry because we did similar work. So I, that's why I really haven't, you know, followed you or whatever. And it's like, whoa, I, I, I no, I, there's no rivalry. I'm here to, I want to help. I want to, yeah. I want to, I want to just laugh. I want to, I want to look at your work and be amazed and, and totally know, man and not and not look at it like oh I, I should have done that or oh man no then just do it do your own thing like have fun. I try to have fun yeah. and and be honest and and communicate so the community is is extremely important as far as there's this this honesty and and uh inspiration behind it yeah I don't know. Fuck, man. Competition might be good. It probably is good in some fucking sense, but well, yeah, I heard something. Not a, not like where it it poisons you. You right. know, it's like if somebody makes me jealous, it's like I usually re, I just remember that that's a part. Like, wow, like I, I that's something to to learn from. It's not oh. something to it's not something to be to be angry or, or, or sickened by, or let it bother me. Just think there, that's beautiful. Like Bravo, truly Bravo. And okay. Now I want to go make some stuff. You know? Totally. Like once, once you get that in the community, everybody can win and lose together. You know, we're all here to help each other. Very cool. Yeah. It was, there's, there's a difference between, uh, like there can be friendly rivalry and you can spur each other on and they can show you what you're lacking. The other day I was with my friend, Brian Paul, who is one of the most talented artists I've ever known. And he's like an image machine. He just, everything is just imagery. And it's, he showed me this moleskin sketchbook he's got and every page is completely filled corner to corner with so masterpieces. Nice. And I was, I had a physical reaction to it. I was shaking while I was looking at it because I was just so overwhelmed. <laughs> And I had a moment where I got to kind of watch what was happening and I was just full of awe and admiration. And man, it felt so good to realize that I had no jealousy. I had no uh, 
resentment towards his abilities or what he's doing with it, but just like celebration. Holy fuck, you're amazing, man. And thank yeah. you for the inspiration because I can take it and I can use it in my own way. Yeah, yeah. So how do you, it, I mean, you have an insane Instagram following. How do you handle that? Like, do you, do you exercise control over the phone? Do you try to manage how much you use it or how much you look at it? No, no. You just, Something, I try not, try not to think about it too much. I try to answer as many questions. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, it's become more of a business Mm-hmm. You know, as far as I started making merchandise through a friend of mine, Cody Herman, who's based in Los Angeles. Uh, he, he was he was in Napa and I actually his family owns a sign shop in Napa and I encountered him. I went I used to go to this sign shop to have signs made for the, the Coppola estate and the winery and things. And then uh, just randomly, like later on in life, he reached out. We, we connected and. Um, he was making pins, enamel pins at the time. And uh, we started making pins together. And Cody has been, you know, a true uh, driving force behind me being able to make clothing and, and, uh, and some of the other like tie clips and butthole cufflinks and things <laughs> like that. And he, you know, it's, it's been a real pleasure to, to be able to, to work with him. And I'm fortunate to have somebody like that in my in my corner who's yeah he motivates me you know it's like so but but it also it also has become a business so and i'm i do all the shipping and receiving up here in saint helena uh pretty much 100 percent customer service uh, so you handle I'm, all of that all of that yeah he he and i both work with production and but uh he's been uh he's he's been the real like production sort of guy he he helps me figure out ideas uh on how things can actually be made and then like uh uh, running the website we have a friend the website he yeah he he, cody really was instrumental in helping me understand like how to use shopify and and uh and i think he bought he oh he told me to buy a um god damn it what's the name of the little printer i'm terrible uh, it's like a little printer. It's thermal printing. Cause I was, man, you know, I'm not, I'm not really tech savvy. And so I was using for years, I was doing my own shipping for my prints and drawings. And I was using a real printer with like big sheets of sticker paper and just really inefficient. And, uh, and I, and I try to hand write a letter I make, I make my own stationery. And so I try to I print my own station. I don't pay for it. Uh, I pay for the ink and paper, but uh and so i try to personalize each order awesome. uh, as much as possible but it being a business like that it's different than what it what it was when i started as far as like it's just about the drawings and it's just about having fun and so i don't know it, the, it, the instagram thing is a very touchy subject you know it's it's uh it's hard to explain it's uh it's changing too. Instagram's guidelines have changed. I've been, I've been, I've had my, my account deleted twice, three times maybe. And I've had to come back and build and, and then read the community guidelines. And I, I turned it to private, Mm. but recently they, they updated their community guidelines and uh, I've had a lot of works removed lately. Mm. There's always that, that, uh, that, 
that threatening message that they could delete your account. Right. And at that point you lose, not only do you lose the people that you've connected with, uh, because it's nice. It's Instagram's fantastic for having this, yeah. this nice chunk of like data and, and communication access all in one place. Um, but it's also, I've, I've got a lot of my work. that's sort of like 4,000 pieces. I, I repost a lot too of the same old shit sometimes when it's like, ah, cause I remember like, yeah, that shit was funny. I like that. I won't put that back up. And, um, but to lose all of that in one fell swoop is, is always scary. It's like everything I put, every time I post now, there's always that fear that it could be just wiped clean. Yeah. Mm, eh, but that's, you know, that's the name of the game. So, totally. so when you, so when you started drawing and like getting the stuff into fecal face, were you still working at the winery with the Coppola's? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I work, I started working in their tasting room. Basically I, my job was to peel stickers off of new wine glasses. Um, I didn't know anything about wine. They asked me in my interview, they said, what do you know about wine? He said, it's white and it's red. <laughs> like, all right, you're perfect. <laughs> they threw me in the, ta- in this tasting room. Uh, and I really didn't know anything about Francis Ford Coppola at the time. Uh, no I knew way, that he had, really? Well, I knew that he had directed The Godfather, right? But I, I didn't quite understand. And then I think I'd seen Apocalypse Now, but I didn't, I really wasn't like, my favorite movie I think was uh, with Super Fuzz with Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> it was a weird old movie and uh, Indiana Jones, that kind of shit. Like, but I didn't know much about film. And then uh, by by working there, I, I kind of learned because you're, it's a very uh, personal thing. His his creations, his his not only him but his wife Eleanor, and so their their works, their family, uh, like all the products. There's products that are named after their family members. You know, there's wine that's named after his daughter, and uh, there's pasta and pasta sauce that he that he was making that he still makes that was named after his mom, and so. Uh, you, you you have no choice but to sort of learn. He's he and his wife are like the the marketing geniuses. It's, I learned the genius of marketing. You know that they had. I learned wow, that's that's smart to do it that way or to to take these risks. You know, and just to go and and really, it was his wife Eleanor who encouraged me to uh, to take risk with art because she's an artist and she, she asked me, she was doing these sculptural pieces. They were bird nests that she would find. They, they, they own this estate in uh, Rutherford where this original winery was built. They sort of saved this, this winery that was built in the, in the early 1900s and, and reconnected all the parcels. And um, they're, uh, they're sort of, uh, what do you call it? Like keepers of this estate, not keep caretakers. Mm-hmm of this historic estate. And, uh, but anyway, Eleanor, there's this beautiful property that's mostly just woods. And she would collect these, these bird nests that were abandoned. And she was writing quotes from some of her favorite artists like David Best or Joseph Boys and, and these long string pieces of tissue paper. And she asked me to help her uh, install them in San Francisco in the financial district like go into office buildings and get in an elevator and stick these bird nests (laughs) with these quotes in an elevator you know for people just just break up this this routine and then we went to the to the moma and 
you know, I remember she wanted one inside the MoMA. And this is probably, yeah, this is probably like 2001. And I was a kid, you know, it's like, I was scared. Because she's like, okay, I want you to put one inside the MoMA. And there's a part of the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art where there's a white bridge. It's like high above this, this round room. And she said, I, I'd like it at the end of that bridge. And she was with me. And, uh, and, uh, and I remember she distra- there was a security guard. And I remember she distracted the security guard. She's talking to me. She's a sweet woman, you know, but really also just amazing, like, and charming. So she's charming this security guard. She's pointing to me, like, go, go, go. So I fucking put this thing up. And so we installed a piece of hers in the, and that doing that with her just gave me this feeling like, oh, wow, this is, this is what you, this is the way to do it. You just, you, you don't wait for people to tell you what to do or do you offer you things like in some cases. Yeah. But truly, if you just go and do it and, and try to, to get past all that fear, fear is good, but fear is also the thing that stops, stops us sometimes. And, what about what about your like your do you have how do you go about making your stuff do you do it do you have a All schedule the, do you set yourself a schedule or you just do it whenever well now i have so i have an uh, 18 year old daughter and i now have a one and a half year old daughter whoop, whoop. Um, yeah so the with the one year old uh this is this is a full-time job uh my partner and I share responsibilities and, but it's, uh, it takes up the majority of our, of our life now, which is a, a wonderful, I'm very fortunate. And I have a beautiful, two beautiful daughters, but the, the one and a half year old is, is uh, she's a mover. She won't stop moving. She's fantastic. <laughs> so uh, the only time, and it, it goes back to when I, I really started working. Uh, I had a, again, I had another young daughter, uh, I was young and so my only and I was working full time and then coming home playing with the baby and and and, and then um, so night times are the only times I work so I work I, I usually don't have any sleep I try to take naps when how I'm much lucky. you sleep keep, a night like 15 I try to do like three or four hours <laughs> and then I <laughs> and then I try to get like I try to squeeze in. I usually am asleep when I wake up. I'm asleep for the next like four hours. Like I think I'm just now waking up. It's two o'clock California time. I've been up since I think, I mean, I'm wake, I'm woken up by the baby and then I just, I fall back to sleep. If I'm lucky, I have a great partner who helps me. Uh, but yeah, my schedule is, I like working at night, but there's no real schedule to it. It's like you get an idea and you see my drawings, you see that they don't take necessarily a lot of technical time consuming work. It's, it's usually w- one take, yeah. you know, if I, I, I wing it, it's like, fuck, I, if I can draw it, uh, I'll use reference images. Like I draw Winnie the Pooh, um, but I have to look at Winnie the Pooh, like to make <laughs> sure, okay, that's fucking, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, there's no real schedule. It's just sort of deep yeah. at night, deep, deep into the night. Like I've always thought that when, when everyone else is asleep in my area, like the consciousness is dropped, mm. then I feel like I'm able to, that probably sounds stupid, but no, man. So I after, believe in that. 
That sounds great. After living in Costa Rica, the sun comes up at 5.30, the monkeys are screaming, and it it's like, it's so hard to sleep in there. And it gets dark at five. So my schedule totally changed. But now I'm in Portland or outside of Portland and it is gray. Like right now, the cloud is like a fucking silver blanket. It's, it's just dead. <laughs> so last night I stayed up until two and I was working on a collage, man. And it felt so good. And then, but I can't sleep late. I woke up at seven. So, but I usually get more than five hours of sleep. Well, uh, so and oh, yeah, then, I, 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 I mean, I, yeah, that's. Are you still doing jujitsu? No, I. Uh, I might start when I move closer to the city. Um, but because you were doing jujitsu in San Francisco, right? Yeah, and I did it in Costa Rica for a while. Uh, I got worried about my hands, but you could do no because they kept. When what, you, what's wrong with your? When you have the gi, there's like lots of grabbing and pulling. So I'd meet guys with, whose fingers would be like all sideways and shit, and I'd be like, "Ah, oh, that's not." That's not good. Oh, wow. So uh, I laid off and then I was like, man, I really, I want to devote my time to writing and making art. And there was only one class there at 7.30 at night. So I was like, I'm going to choose what I want to focus on. Um, but it is a really good way to stay fit. And it's really, it's a nice mental activity. It's kind of like chess. Yeah. And, uh, and there's a really yeah. cool camaraderie there, like suffering together, which also happens with tattooing. Um, so... I think I'll probably do some no-gi in the future, but like over 40 kind of no-gi jujitsu. <laughs> yeah, at least you're doing it, you know? Yeah. So I, I heard somewhere, like I don't remember where, that you broke your dick. <laughs> yeah, do we have much time here? <laughs> this is a very interesting story. Uh, yeah, technically broke your penis, but it was more that there's um there's a part of your penis that like i don't know if you know much about the the human penis the inside oh workings so 2012 uh i had uh i was i was still married at the time and i was just having regular sex I don't know if I want to tell this story. I don't know if we want to. Know we, we, ask we, you, we can. We can. You brought like, it up so much. I know. I know. But now I'm thinking about my 18 year old daughter, who I don't know knows this story. You know, that's the only thing. Let me tell you, so you have it. All right. We may. We may cut it if I feel like. Eh. Totally. Anyway, uh, I think she knows in a weird way. Anyway, so I was having sex with my my ex wife, normal sex, and and I felt this pop. And in, in no way, you know, I, I, I just felt like, oh, that was weird. You know, that was a weird pop. And then, and this is 2012. I'd been drawing penis and sexual cartoons for, for about, you know, for quite a while anyway. And a couple of days go by and I noticed some swelling on the left side of my shaft and I thought it was a spider bite at first i was like fuck because it it hurt but it wasn't it wasn't like it was painful but it wasn't really that bad i'm like this is crazy like you know i've been with the same woman for you know 15 years now and they, i don't have an std unless something's <laughs> going on with her but i but so i'm like it's i think it's a spider bite and then about a week later it had it had swelled up 
even more to like a golf ball size. And uh, it's on the left side of my shaft and the pain, it was so intense, but I, I, I have a high tolerance for pain. So I just was kept going to work and, um, and I was going to work. And then one day I came, I left work early cause it was just, it all of a sudden my, my left side started hurting and it was hard for me to breathe. And, uh, and so I went home early and I was smoking cigarettes at the time. I'd smoked cigarettes for, for years. And I was out on my front porch smoking a cigarette with my phone do, looking at WebMD. Uh, and it was more about the side pain. The penis, I just thought it was a spider bite and it would go away. But the side pain was getting super intense and my breathing was really shallow. And, uh, and I'm looking at WebMD and something about like a ruptured spleen entered my mind. So I thought I ruptured my spleen. Anyway, it just, I get up to go inside and I passed out. And, uh, and then the next thing I know, I, I crawled into the bathtub. No one was home at the time. Crawled into the bathtub. My wife came home, found me in the bathtub, and took me to the emergency room. I uh, don't remember too much other than the emergency doctor looking at my – they did a chest x-ray. Then I told him about my penis. I was pretty embarrassed. And, and he looked at the penis, and he's like, oh, you know, I don't know what the fuck this is. Like, So they gave me some painkillers and some uh, – uh, and some, uh, what you call it, you know, the, what's the stuff? Uh, Viagra. No, no, dude, the, <laughs> the stuff that they gave me painkillers and, uh, morphine. No, you know, when, no, no. When you get it, when you get a, you get, God, I'm, I'm not really, I'm brain dead. <laughs> I'm not awake yet. You, when you get the, uh, IV? Get like a strep throat, they get, no, Jesus Christ. Anyway, they gave me that. They gave me some what is it called god damn <laughs> like penicillin right what's that called penicillin <laughs> antibiotic oh, no, the, yeah okay, yeah thing. so then he looked at my penis and he's like i don't know what this is so then he they prescribed me some uh painkillers and antibiotics and sent me home and he's like if it doesn't go away in 72 hours call us well i waited 72 hours i took all these painkillers which i i don't do well on on painkillers i usually just feel sweaty and gross and and pass out and so I was out for 72 hours. I woke up and I couldn't even walk at that point. And nothing had changed. My, my lungs were, were worse. My side pain was worse. My penis was the same swollen, but I couldn't walk. It was so painful, uh, even on painkillers. And so then I went to the emergency room and they, they, they uh, did an ultrasound on my penis. And, uh, and, and they had a urologist come in. And then he asked me all these questions like, well, you know, what the fuck are you doing? Do you, you know, what did you, like, he saw tattoos on me. He's like, did you try to tattoo? Did you try to pierce your penis? What's going on? I'm like, no, I've had told him the story. I had sex. So then they rushed me into a surgery. And at this point I was, I was really out of it. I didn't know what was going on. I woke up and they had cut away the left side. They'd cut away the corpora cavernosa, which is like the spongy part. So on your penis, you have two sides, right? And uh, I think it's your uh, urethra that runs through the, the spongiosum, which is like the bottom piece. It's like Cartman's face, right, <laughs> from South Park. And so uh, I just saw that graphic for the first time. Anyway, uh, so the corpus, the corpora cavernosa is the spongy part of your shaft. So they had to cut that out because it, I had basically gotten sep, sep, sepsis. Uh, so I was blood poisoning. So I was 
according to this urologist, very close to death. I pushed it too far. And that, so blood vessels broke inside of my corporate uh, cavernosa, became infected. Uh, and I didn't, they went untreated because I didn't know what it was. And I was also embarrassed. It's like, Jesus. And uh, so they had to cut that away. And I woke up with my dick bandaged and this urologist telling me like, hey, you almost died. And uh, good thing you came in. Here's what we had to do. And in my head, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, and I couldn't see. I couldn't see anything. So I'm like, what? My penis? Like, you cut my penis. So finally, the, so I had to go back in every day for seven days. And they had to clean out the where they had cut away just to make sure that the infection didn't come back. So I was under anesthesia for uh, daily for a week. And I remember wake, I had a bad reaction once. And it, it was, it's interesting. Once you have that shit happen to you and you go under anesthesia and surgery, it's interesting your, your out, outlook on life, you know, you sort of uh, let go of some things. But mm-hmm. so anyway, the penis is like, so I finally see it healed. And sure enough, it's like under the head, there's like the shaft is like, here's my shaft. It's like this big, right? And so it's like cut like half of it's cut like in a scoop it's like an ice cream scooper you know and i could still blood still filled up the right side I still get erect it's still straight erection but it was bizarre and he's like well you know this happens and and uh we'll send you to a specialist so i had to go to a specialist in mountain view and crazy story there is that i go to the specialist in mountain view and go in this room and he's like, oh, okay, this is what's happening. We can put a prosthetic in, in the left side, and then we'll rebuild the, the left side of your, your penis. And uh, so you have a full penis again, and, and you'll have this pump, like a little turkey baster. So it's a common, it's a common, um, it's a common surgery for men with erectile dysfunction. And uh, it's like this, it's a pump, and then there's like these two balloons that go where your corpora cavernosa is. So it actually, you pump, it's in the pump is in your testicles. And then it's attached to, I think it's like, I, I think it's saline or like gin. I don't know what the liquid is, but that's also implanted in your body. It's like one piece that they wow. fucking figure out. So I can, look for me though, I only had one balloon on the left side where my surgery was. The right side, they didn't put the, the normal right balloon. They left that one being natural. So I can still get an erection, but then to get a full erection as far as like fully hard, rock hard is I, I pump, I grab this thing in my scrotum and it's like, remember those rings, those, those trick rings that would have like the little bulb on them uh-huh. fill with water and you're like, yeah, like a flower, like one of those clown flower things. It's like a turkey baster bulb. And so I pump that up, uh, whatever 10 15 times you can go as far as 100 i don't think it does much like wishful thinking like oh, it'll get bigger if i want more now but it, it, it so then at that point it, it stays erect until you're done and or till you choose not to be because then there's a button above the pump above the the bulb that actually deflates it so wow. you can stay erect as long as you want crazy if you're if you're lucky enough but uh but the weird story was one of the weirdest things was when you go to this this specialist uh 
he leaves you in this room and, and uh, he's like, okay, so here's the thing. I need to see your penis erect in order to get, to gauge like what size implant and just truly see what we're, we're talking about. And he's like, so what we do is we give you a DVD and uh, you know, you start to, you watch the DVD, do what you have to do to get erect. If that, if the, basically he's like, here, watch this porn movie and play with yourself until, and then when you're ready, when you're erect, hit this, hit this button and we'll come in. So it's him and another, and a, and a nurse. And so, yeah, I was a little dumbfounded, but I just had my penis cut. So nothing really was shocking to me and, and I wanted it fixed. So I, I watched, he gives me this D and it was a terrible porn movie. It was the worst. <laughs> and you only and have one was, option. <laughs> that's it. You don't have, he doesn't give you a website. He doesn't even, I, and I, I, I should have just looked at my phone and, and looked up like, you know, yeah, I don't know, airplanes or something that really gets me excited. <laughs> and, you know, like a buffet, <laughs> you know, but it, that was bizarre, but it was also, you know, it's like, it, it truly happens. People have to have these surgeries and, you know, he, he brought up, you know, a lot. He's like, you're young, but you're lucky. He's like, you know, there's, there's motorcycle victims, accident, car accident, motorcycle accident victims that lose everything and we have to recreate everything. And it's like, you know, guys that go off to fight in wars, same shit. So it's like you, all this stuff happens. So there's a, there's a humor element to it, but Jesus Christ, am I lucky? Yeah. And so I, I'm, a, I'm ashamed and embarrassed of this, but I call my mother who's in St. Louis and, uh, and I, <laughs> and I told her what, what was going on. And uh, the first thing she says to me is she laughs when I, I was in the hospital after I had had the surgery, I'm like, mom, this, this happened to me. Let me just tell you, you're the first person other than my wife who knows, thought you should know you, you helped make me. And she laughed and goes, ha, oh, isn't that ironic? The guy who draws penis drawings breaks a penis. And I'm like, that doesn't help. You know? <laughs> so didn't I tell you this story? Yeah, you did outside of the. Okay. Oh, well, fuck. Why did I just tell you on camera? So maybe it's, you want to put it in the podcast. It's a historical reference. You'll have it. I'll have it. Man, and you never have to worry about Cialis. Like you never told. told What's that? Like a, erection pills. Oh, yeah, no, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going in life. This thing could. <laughs> I, that's the other thing. I, I asked the guy, is there any metal parts or anything that could rust in it? And he's like, no, what? <laughs> you know. Hey, you got to. Do you have to run? Uh, in a little bit, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, I wanted I wanted to ask you two things, but if okay, if, if you got to go, let me know. No, no, um, let's keep, we'll keep them short. Yeah. Uh, what What's your experience been with psilocybin, and have you used it in a way to like improvement to assist with mental health, or more for fun? What's your take on psilocybin? Uh, in high school, in high school, I first did it and. It was the kind of thing where you'd eat a bag of it, you know, or you'd get a you'd get an eighth with some friends, and you think that you gotta eat all of it. You gotta you gotta f have this experience. I didn't know. It's just like it's like acid. At the time, it was like you get it, and you're young. And I think as a kid, I was it was like you drink till you're drunk, you know. 
I was never trained. They don't teach you in school, which they should. Like, here's what this is. This is why you should use it. So as a kid, you get it and it's excess. It's like, fuck, let's get high. Let's go out there. So that was my first touch with it. And then I, I never, I didn't have it for years. And then uh, several years ago, you know, I've been on and off antidepressants almost my whole life, anti-anxiety medication. Uh, and a few years ago, a friend of mine uh, recommended it in small doses, psilocybin. And uh, so with the intention that it was going to curb anxiety for me. So I, I took some small amounts and, uh, and it worked like a charm. And uh, it's hard. I don't really want to speak too much on it because I'm not an expert by any means. But personally, it's been, uh, it's been a truly amazing a truly amazing gift to, to have and, and to be able to, to sort of level out some of those, those uh, old feelings of depression and anxiety, especially for me. Yeah. So that's more with microdoses. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cool. And then uh, and there, there's some great, there's some great people out there that, that I think if, if you're curious about it, uh, I'm not the person to talk about it, but I, I definitely encourage it. I'm a champion it for sure. Yeah. And uh, in, 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 within the right, the right realm, like don't overdo it. It's like anything, you know, or maybe overdo it. Fuck. I don't know. <laughs> and but I, I, I support psilocybin a hundred percent and the yeah. use a hundred percent, obviously. Cool. What, what advice would you give to somebody that is interested in, being creative that doesn't know how to approach it. Just trust yourself, trust your gut, you know, believe in yourself, like what you do. Don't be, uh, don't be stopped by the fear of someone else not liking it or people, what people think necessarily. Is that good advice? Seems like good advice. I'll take it. What advice do you have for someone that, that, uh, wants to be creative uh, <laughs> you had to to well you got to spend some time by yourself and find a medium you want to work with uh and yeah you can try to draw from life you could try to draw from your mind you could try to write a poem i just i guess just find whatever path seems to speak to you and then try all sorts of different things draw with sticks and ink and what do you consider a successful piece uh well it's interesting man um i think it's something where you you feel it like if you 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 look at it and you know okay I, i did something there that I, something something else came into play. Like maybe I moved out of the way a little bit and something else came through uh, and it, it looks visually appealing. And a lot of times, sometimes the stuff that looks visually appealing to me doesn't appeal to anybody else. But so, yeah, and uh, I, I've learned to accept that, that there's things that I like and maybe somebody out there will like it, but that really isn't my concern. It's just... I, I want to make it and then art needs to be shared to uh, be art, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But how many, how many, te- well, maybe, but 
I think I think it, it, it it's important to share it. I think it's you know it's a, it's a big part of it. It's, it needs the viewer to come not, to life. Maybe, yeah. yeah, yeah. How many tattoos have you done in your life? Fuck, man, I don't know. In twenty-one years. Oh, really? Oh, pff, fuck. I'm so bad with math, so it's really hard for me to think number-wise. But I, or it could be a. Uh, 50,000? I have no idea. Wow. I can't think in math. I wish I could. I'd have more money. <laughs> wow. So, Because you, you've touched, physically touched a lot of people. Yeah, all over the world. And yeah. I was just writing about that the other day. That's, uh, that there's even, if I don't remember the piece, whatever, there's still this transference of, of energy between the two people. Both people join in this really sacred act that's been around since fucking we got here on this planet. And it's a, it's a rite of passage. Yeah. All right. One more for you. How would you define Wait. success? <laughs> uh, let me, hold on. Let me, can I look it up? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <in the> dictionary. <laughs> Uh, success, I think, is being able to 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 just be. Uh, fuck, man, success. Success is it's so that's a that's a weird question because there's so many ways to be successful. To to achieve goals is one way, you know. To be able to have the mindset to make a goal, to be able to fucking breathe, wake up and breathe, and open your eyes and. But I think success is is most is is the is the the most met when uh, for me personally when I'm able to help other people uh, either that's just physically help them or inspire people in some way to to feel confident and and safe and strong you know okay yeah. I don't know I don't know uh, I do have one thing though Mark Twain said uh, I think it was Mark Twain that said something that I did I live by this and I I work by this I make shit by this but Mark Twain I think said work and play are two words used to describe the same thing mm. and so that's like been my goal through my whole life um, from every job I have and I try to remember it when I have to do jobs and things that I don't want to do like uh, I gotta clean up the fucking gutter I gotta clean clean the shit out of my own toilet or whatever <laughs> I always try to remember that quote and just remember like there's always a fun, there's always fun to be had in, in almost everything on this planet. And so every task. So um, I know that when I was younger and I, I was working uh, for other people more, more often than I do now, it was, it was always infuriating. Like, Oh, one day I want to be, you know, I think we all have that where we feel like, I want to do it. I want to be my own boss. And I want to, and I just, I, I encourage people to just remember, remember that, like try to f use your imagination and make a game out of it, especially when, when it gets to that point where you become angry and just let that be your, your point where you're like, that's the switch, you know, like, wait, this is, let me find some play with this, you know, man, I don't, is that, I don't that... know. One, one day we'll, one day we'll, I'll, I'll figure 
things out or I won't. I don't know. I just, probably not. I, mean, I don't know. I don't think not. it's possible. <laughs> but man, that yeah. is so you. Like, that's what I see in you. You sent me a photo once years ago. It was your daughter's birthday. And you, I don't know, like you filled up an entire hallway with balloons or something. And you, so that when she walked out, she wouldn't really be able to walk because it would just be a no. wall of balloons. Yeah, well, we had this little hallway and then her doorway opens into a room. It opened into a room. And so I took all these balloons and, and just blew them up and then used streamers to hold them against her door. So there was a, a good like six foot section of hallway that we could pack. So she woke up in the morning and opened the door inward and all, these balloons fell in her. And Amazing. it's just, that's, that was her birthday. That was special. That didn't happen every day. <laughs> okay. And then I just all, got two quick personal questions for myself. So your big goal, goal setter. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's the goals that like you see something that you want to do and achieve. And then once you do it, like either you either force yourself, I don't, I don't really think about forcing it as much as you put it out there. It's an intention. Yeah. Could you tell me one of the ones and you have it, right now? Right now, right now, I think one of the ones I, I truly have is to uh, it's so it's fucking cheesy maybe, but it's like, like going back to that neck face quote, I, I really, the goal I really have is to, to, to continue to have the ability to make things and, and make sure that my mind and my body are, are sound enough to be able to make things for as long as I can, whether it's for art or like for like money or, or just to be able to wake up or, or late at night, get those impulses. Like I want to draw, I want to build this firework sculpture. I want to do this stuff. You know, I, I never want to get to the point where I'm, I'm not interested in it anymore. Yeah. Cool. And then are you making a living off of, of your art now? Oh uh, yes. I've been, I've been lucky. I've been lucky. Sick man. That's lucky. so cool. But I don't live extravagantly. Right. So we all, we just make our life, you know, yeah, I, I think I've, I can see that's the funny thing. I, I've, I've been living off of my art for, if I look at it properly for a long time, even if I was working for, for the Coppola's or working at a grocery store or working, you know, odd jobs here and there, it was like, those were, I'd make them into like artistic endeavors for myself. So I looked at it as if I was making art yeah. and I was getting paid these were just my clients, you know? Yeah. yeah living becomes a source a way of, uh, of art. Like your, yeah. your life is your art. Yeah. I'm cleaning up trash. I'm volunteering cleaning up trash in this park in Napa, but it's a game. It's like, this is an art piece called collect all the sculpture. You know, it's like everything that, that I, you just, you make it, try to make it somewhat fun. Otherwise you go fucking crazy. Yeah. I really appreciate you doing like, this with me. I love you. And uh, I'm gonna, tell me what, you love me. I love you, man, very much. The theme song is by my friend Dave Perry down in Costa Rica. You can find his music on Bandcamp. Yeah.
Let's see. 